Good morning. Give everyone a warm welcome as we come to worship our God, whether we're here in the building together or we're worshipping online. All are welcome. Just one message, one notice I should say before we start, is that we have fellowship lunch um, coming up with notice was up on, on the wall. Please can you put your name down um, if you would like to come. Um, it's a good time. Bring some food, share some time together um, without having to rush for anything else and everyone is welcome. As we come to our service, Romans, Paul writes in Romans and he says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now our next, our first song, our first hymn is all about Jesus being Lord. And as we sing through the different verses, we can see why Jesus is Lord. Let's stand as the music starts. We've got two readings today, both from the Gospel of John. 
some verses from John 14 and then from verses from John 16. So if we turn, if you have a chapel Bible, a church Bible, then it's on page 901. 901. So first read in John 14 and we'll read verses 27 to 31. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And then our second reading is in chapter 16, so over the page, and we're reading verses 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you, You will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. 
I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Mark is going to preach from that a little bit later, with I have overcome the world being his title. Now I don't know if you ever have that question where you're not sure what's happening around you. You know, what does he mean, the disciples asked. What's going on? Well our next, our next song is very much about Jesus leading us. We might have questions about what is going on round about us, but we have in this song, all the way, my saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? And after this, this song, Luke is going to do the children's talk, so children, please come up. Thank you.
a little space up the end. Okay, well, good morning, guys. Nice to be back. But it's the end of the summer. It's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Been summer holidays. It's just about to get warm, I think, isn't it? So, uh, anyway, we're off to school next week. How do we feel about that? Generally down, yeah. But, you know, new beginnings and all that. Could be good. Probably will be. Has anyone had a, hol- uh, anyone had a birthday over the summer? Yeah, a couple of birthdays. And what, what do people like to give you for birthdays? What do you normally get when you wake up in the morning? What do you like to do? Yeah, a little present. That's nice. Yeah, what else do you get? You're absolutely right. Presents. That's always nice. They're the most exciting bits, aren't they? And what comes with them normally? People sing happy birthday to you. That's always lovely, isn't it? Yeah. And, and what else do you get given? A card. Yeah. And, and what happens if someone doesn't know what to get? not quite sure what to get you. What might they do? They want to give you a present, but they're like, oh, I don't know if they'll like this. And yeah, Katie? They might ask, yeah. And, and if they're not prepared enough, and it's maybe a little bit of a last-minute thing, what might they do? Some money in the card, or yeah, and what else might they shove in the card? Uh, nearly, a bit, bit like what Finn said, but they make it just a little bit worse. Money, money yeah. <laughs> they, what do they do with the money? What do they do? Something like this. Yeah? Yeah, what's it called? Yeah, gift voucher, that's right. And what can you do with this then? What can I do with this? Go to the shop. I mean, this one's probably quite a boring one, to be honest. HomeSense and TK Maxx. But hopefully we get an exciting one where we can go and buy like the toys and the stuff that we like. Yeah, have you had one of these before, River? A kid's one, yeah, that'd be far more exciting, wouldn't it? So we can go to a shop, and we can go... So someone's paid for this card, so they say there's a £20 voucher, and you can go to the shop and buy your favourite things up to the value of £20 from that shop. So you can go and load up a basket or something with sweets or toys or games or something like that. And that's great, isn't it? And when you get to the till, do you have to get your money out of your, out of your wallet? No? What do you do? give them the card, and it's all paid for, isn't it? Scoop up your things, and you walk off. It's all done. And I thought, that it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a nice way of being able to go and get some stuff, isn't it, that you can choose. Um, and did you know, this is a bit like what Jesus does. You weren't surprised by me following up with that. Jesus doesn't give us a gift card, although it would be nice to have a card to know that God loves us, but we know that from his word. But, we have, but Jesus has already paid, do you hear this expression, he's paid the price. Have you heard that expression before when we've been so Jesus has paid the price for us. What has he, what has he paid the price for? Yeah, he's, 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 our sins. He's paid, he's paid the price for our sins. And how did he do that, Finn? Finn? By dying on the cross. Absolutely. And so it's a bit like this gift card because what that means is that we don't have to pay the punishment for our sin because we should, but we don't have to because Jesus already paid the cost. And that's why when someone gives one of these for your birthday card, in a birthday card, they've already paid for the stuff you're going to buy. You just have to go along and say, here's the card, and I'm going to take these lovely things. But instead of taking these lovely toys and sweets, we get eternal life. And Jesus has already paid the price. It's already done. Something that we should pay, like when we get to the till, we should be opening our wallet and getting out our coins and notes to pay for the, th- the sweets or toys. But instead, we just give this card. And instead of paying the price for our sins, 
as, as God said, was that all our sins need to be punished. And unfortunately, we're all sinners, aren't we? We've all done things wrong in our lives. And so we've all, we've all got our sins to pay for unless we have Jesus' love, unless we have put our trust in Jesus, has repented and said sorry for our sins. And then it's a bit like this gift card. Jesus has already paid the price so that then we can look forward to going to heaven one day. And that's even better than taking home loads of toys and sweets, as fun as that is. We have got heaven to look forward to, which will be the most amazing place that we can't even get our minds around it. But we can look forward to that if we've got our trust in Jesus, knowing that Jesus has paid the price on our behalf. Like someone's paid the price for the gift card, Jesus has already paid the punishment for our sin. Let me say a little prayer for you, and we'll go back to our seats. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus was willing to come to this earth. We know that we are very sinful and our sins must be punished. But we thank you that you have provided a way that we can be in heaven with you at last and that Jesus has, uh, has uh, paid the price on our behalf so that, so that we can be with you. And what a, what a generous gift that is, that we have to do nothing for it. It's all paid for. And so, Father, we rejoice in that this morning. And I pray for everyone here this morning, especially um, the kids down the front, that, Lord, we will know that you have paid the price on our behalf and that we will put our trust in you, knowing that that is more than enough. So, Father, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Luke. Well, we're going to um, come to that great God in prayer now. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God of love. And no more do we see that shown than in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he was willing to obey you. He was willing to follow your command, to leave the perfection of heaven, where he was there in glory, and to come and live on this earth. We thank you that he is now in heaven, seated at your right hand. We thank you that he has overcome the world. That though Satan thought that he had the victory on the cross, at that point, Jesus had overcome the world. And we thank you that we can come to him. Lord, we can come to you with our requests. We can come to you looking for strength and help and comfort. We can come to you because you're a God who still cares, even though Jesus has, has defeated sin, has defeated Satan, for all those who had looked to him for forgiveness. But Lord, we pray that he is still active on the throne in heaven. We thank you that when he left and went to heaven, he sent the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that in our lives that we would be looking for the Holy Spirit's guidance, that we would be, as he prompts us, as our conscience are triggered, Lord, following his guidance. May we, may we, Lord God, never hurt the Holy Spirit. May we never ignore him. And we pray for any who do not know you as their saviour, as their father. We pray the Holy Spirit would work in their lives, would be convicting them of sin. Lord, we pray that he would be showing the people who do not know you their need of a saviour. Lord, we pray that eyes that are blinded so they cannot see would be unblinded. Lord God, we ask 
that you would be gracious and that you would be merciful to any who do not know you. Lord, we pray that for those of us who do know you, that our lives would be transformed not only by the Holy Spirit, but by your word. As we read it on a a daily basis, Lord, we pray you'd be speaking to us through it. Lord, we pray that as Mark preaches, as we hear your word preach Sunday by Sunday, Lord, we ask that we would be sensitive to what you're saying to us. And may our lives be changed so that we become more like Jesus. Help us to love those round about us just as Jesus did. We pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to speak about you. We pray and ask that you would help us to be faithful to those opportunities. We pray that the way we live our lives would cause people to ask questions of why. Lord God, we're so thankful that we have your word. We're so thankful that, Lord, you teach us through it. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to to teach others. Lord, we commit, thrive and, and rooted to you as they've just come back after the summer. Lord, we ask that um, those children and young people, Lord, as they come to Lord, you would be speaking to their hearts and their lives. Lord, we commit to you first Tuesdays and first steps. And Lord, ask for opportunities there to tell people about you. We pray that you would be using those opportunities Lord, to bring glory to your name. We pray that souls will be added to your kingdom. And Lord God, we ask that you would, where your word has gone out in the camps and in the wipey holidays and in connected over the summer. Lord, that that word, that seed that has been sown would bring forth fruit. We pray that as the children go back to the routine of school, Lord, any that you are working in, Lord, that you would protect them from the devil. You would protect them from the things of this world which can take over and seem more important. We ask that your word would bring forth fruit to your honour and glory. Lord, we do ask as we are in that season of change, we pray for the children as they go back to school. They have new classes, new teachers. Some may be starting new schools, that you would be with them. And Lord, if they're nervous, may they look to you for help. Help them to pray to you and talk to you. Lord, pray for any who are uh, looking to go into university and the planning and the prep that they need to do. We pray you'd be with them. Lord, ask that you would provide for them. Lord, we pray for any who are starting new jobs. Ask that you would be with them and help them. Lord, we we pray for any who are struggling under the cares of this world. Lord, you know each of our hearts, you know each of our lives. We pray that we would all be looking to you for support and for strengthening and for comfort and for peace. Lord, the disciples were, were confused and sometimes we look around in our world and we seem to see the power of Satan Lord, but we know that you have overcome the world. And we pray that even though you may lead us through difficult times, Lord, we know that you love us. And we look to you to supply our every need. 
whether that be mentally or physically, whether that be through health, whether that be through stress or through work. Your, Lord, you know. Help us to commit them all to you. Lord God, we ask that you would increase our faith. We pray you'd strengthen our belief in you. Lord, as we go through difficult times and we see the way that you bring us out of them, Lord, we pray that we would grow in faith and belief and trust and we would grow closer to you. Lord, we ask that you would be with Mark as he brings your word to us. We pray that you'd give him clarity of thought and of speech. Lord, knowing, Lord, that he's bringing your word to us. And Lord, as we receive your word, may we hear you speaking to us. Give him the energy he needs as he brings your word to us. And may we be encouraged and strengthened as we know that it's you who have overcome the world and it's you who are leading us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, our next song, before Mark comes and preaches us, is a very well-known song. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows roll. And any of us that have been in difficulty, it's a strange thing, isn't it, to know God's peace in that difficulty. It's an unworldly thing. And we look to God for peace as we need it. Stand and sing.
Well, as we've uh, already said this morning, we've already had Rooted and Thrive. I haven't heard much about how they've gone yet, but I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more later. This week, First Steps and First Tuesday gets underway, I believe. This week also, YPs gets going on Wednesday after the, the summer break. Some of you, as Luke has joyfully reminded you, have the, the wonder and joy of going back to school this week. Woohoo! Some of you are going back to uni um, or maybe a new job in the next few weeks. Quite a lot of us have been away for a few days, or maybe many days, over the last few weeks. Maybe locally, somewhere in the UK, maybe abroad, somewhere nice and sunny. Well, September may not be January, but it is like the start of a new year, isn't it? It's the new academic year. And I suspect there's a good number of us that have been wondering a little bit about what the new year is going to be like. What's it going to be like? How's it going to go? What might it look like? This week, uh, I read a, a news article on aphantasia. Never heard about it before. But it is basically uh, the inability to picture things in your mind. The inability to visualize things in your mind. So I thought I'd do a quick test to see how I fared. Um, so, for example, it would tell you to think of a relative or a close friend. Okay, so you can do this. Shut your eyes if, if you want. And uh, without looking at them, how well can you picture them in your mind's eye? How well can you visualize them? And it gave you like different gradients. So like the, the top one was no image at all. Nothing in my mind's eye. I can't visualize a thing. One of them was a, a sort of vague outline. You've got a sort of dim outline, but yeah, no detail. And at the top end was kind of uh, clear and lively. Basically, it's as if you're looking at them or looking at a photo of them. That's how clearly you can see them in your mind's eye. Well, for me, the best I got is a sort of dim outline, especially with people. I can't really picture people in detail. Maybe some of you can. Maybe some of you have just got that visualization. Or maybe you're part of the 4% that can't see a thing in your mind's eye. And maybe you're shocked that other people do. Well, I was thinking a bit about this in terms of the year ahead as well. Because in many ways, we would like to see everything coming up in the year ahead, wouldn't we? We'd like to see what's God got planned for us. How are things going to come together? It'd be quite nice in many ways to know, have, a, have God just tell us this is exactly how things are going to happen. I have to say more and more, I'm glad that we don't have that. But you know, God doesn't do that for us. But neither does he leave us in a situation where he doesn't give us any clue what to expect. He does tell us some things that will happen. He does make us some promises. We're not going to go into all of them this morning, but we are going to look at one. It's in John 16, 33. It says this, in the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Not the sort of thing you want to put on your fridge. Tribulation, if you don't know, means sort of great suffering or great trouble. So I've simplified it in some ways. In the world, you will have trouble. This is what Jesus says. It's not the sort of thing we want to see in our future. As we imagine the year ahead, we don't like to think of this. But Jesus says, in the world, you will have trouble. It's good that we're warned about it. And there's so much trouble in the world, isn't there? You look in the news, 
And every single day, it is packed full of stories of suffering and trouble and difficulties. Many of us know what it is to suffer. Imagine if we were to write down the sufferings and the troubles that all of us had faced as a church. Imagine we all gathered together as a church and we all made a list of either the things we've gone through or the things we are going through at the moment. Well, it would take some time, wouldn't it? It would be a long old list. We know what it is to, to suffer in this world and to have trouble in this world. Our world is broken by sin and that impacts all of us. So every single one of us will experience suffering. And some of you have experienced very deep and painful troubles. But Jesus' disciples had hoped that Jesus was going to sort of bring in this messianic age where things would be perfect and right and good, where he would rule and where everything would be made right. They understood that he was sent from God, and they were like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is perfect. But now in John 16... Jesus has been saying he's going to leave them. And he doesn't want them to be disillusioned about what's happening because they could easily be disillusioned. What's going on? Jesus, you're meant to be the one that came and saved us and and you're heading off. Barely done anything, Jesus. Well, one day everything will be made perfect. Jesus will do that. We look forward to that day, but that day hasn't happened and it still hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for that day when Jesus will come back and will make the new creation, will make everything perfect. But Jesus is warning his disciples here of more than just the struggles of life. Jesus isn't just saying, look, life's tough. Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer specifically because you are following me. You're going to suffer specifically because you are Christians. This is almost... The very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples, at least in recorded in John, before he goes to the cross to be killed. There's a tiny little bit more which we're going to look at in a bit, which is really important. But just before that bit, this is is the bit that Jesus says is the last thing before he he goes to the cross. He's warning them that the life is going to be difficult. They need to get ready for some incredibly challenging days ahead. And Jesus was right to warn them. It wasn't long, just a few hours really, before the disciples were fearing for their lives. And as maybe you saw in the reading, they were scattering as Jesus was crucified. They were running away for their lives. And then a little bit later, many of them were arrested and a good number were martyred simply because they followed Jesus. You know, if we follow Jesus in this life, if we truly follow him, if we seek to obey him, we will face trouble in life. Sometimes our dreams for the year ahead can be that it will just go smoothly, or maybe that's just me, but it can be so easy, can't it? Just think, I just just want life to be smooth. I want it to be easy, to go without a hitch. And there are preachers in the world that will tell you that. If you just have a life of faith, then God will give you what you need. He'll bless your life. You'll have lots of health and lots of wealth. It's all you need. A bit of faith. But that isn't the message of the Bible. That's not what God promises. Don't listen to them. The Bible warns us that there's no true Christian life or no true Christian service that doesn't have a share of trouble. 
Now, I don't know what you may face this year. But for example, it could be that you lose your job. And the reason you lose your job is because your views on biblical marriage is incompatible with the view of marriage that is being promoted at your workplace. Or it could be that you may lose friends because you refuse to be sucked into the drinking culture of your friendship group. And so they leave you behind. Or it may be that people just constantly niggle you about being a Christian. Maybe it's trying to get you to trip up. Maybe it's trying to see how far they can push you. But they're constantly niggling you just to see what buttons they can press. Maybe you can think of other examples. But Paul tells us that everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. We will face the same hatred that Jesus faced. Jesus said, if the world hates you, just keep in mind that it hated me first. We shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves facing opposition. When we find people not liking us. When we find ourselves in the middle of spiritual warfare, it shouldn't surprise us. Later in Peter's life, when Peter had seen the risen Jesus, when he understood more of what Jesus was about, when he understood more of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus... Peter said this, he said, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says it's not a strange thing. This is the normal Christian experience. Jesus warns his disciples and all of us who follow him, he says, you will face trials. You will face trouble. If we're following Jesus, we can expect that this year. And depending on who you are and where you stand with God, that might leave you with some big questions. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, you might think, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to become a Christian? Why would I want to sign up to all that trouble in the world? For those of you who are Christians and maybe gulping a bit at the thought of tough times, you might be thinking, well, is it worth it? You might be thinking, well, where's the hope in all of that? Well, as I said, Jesus has very nearly said everything he wants to before he goes to the cross. But there's one little snippet more that he adds on to this that transforms everything, that makes a world of difference. He says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Some translations say, take courage. The King James Version, which I don't think is quite so accurate in this incident, uh, but it says, I, I like it, it says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Is it all doom and gloom for the Christian? No, far from it. Far from it. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He's been victorious over it. He's defeated it. But remember when Jesus is saying these words. Jesus is saying these words is the last thing he says before he is taken away, arrested and crucified. If you look at him in that situation, it doesn't really look like he's overcome anything, does it? 
I enjoyed reading this from Spurgeon this week. Some of you know of Spurgeon. The language is a bit old. I've edited it very slightly. If you don't understand all of it, don't worry. Hopefully you'll get the gist of it. But I found this quite helpful. Spurgeon says, How could the betrayed man of Nazareth say, I have overcome the world? We can imagine Napoleon speaking thus when he had crushed the nations beneath his feet and shaped the map of Europe to his will. We can imagine Alexander the Great speaking thus when he had rifled the palaces of Persia and led her ancient monarchs captive. But who is this that speaks in this way? It is a Galilean who wears a peasant's garment and spends time with the poor and the fallen. He is neither wealth nor worldly rank, nor honour among men, and yet speaks of having overcome the world. He is about to be betrayed by his own follower into the hands of his enemies, and then he will be led out to judgment and to death, and yet he says, I have overcome the world. He is casting an eye to his cross with all its shame and to the death which ensued from it, and yet he said, I have overcome the world. He had nowhere to lay his head, he had not a disciple that would stand up for him. For he had just said, you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and you shall leave me alone. He was charged with blasphemy and sedition. He was to be given up to a brutal soldiery, to be mocked and despitefully used and spat upon. His hands and feet were to be nailed to a cross, that he might die a criminal's death. And yet, he said, I have overcome the world. How can this man overcome the world? Well, I think it would do us good just for a few moments to think about what is the world that it's talking about here? Because if we get that, it will help us understand a little bit more of how Jesus has overcome the world. When the Bible says it can mean different things, so for example, when it says the world, it can sort of mean creation. So God made the world and everything in it the creation around us. There's been lots of photos going up on social media of people going around the, the world taking these stunning photos. I've enjoyed looking at some of your photos on holiday. But when it talks about the world here, it's, it's not talking about creation as such. It's talking about the kingdom of the devil, really. In the Gospel of John, Satan is described as the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world. In 1 John 5, it describes this world as lying in the power of the evil one. So you see, the world here is kind of Satan's kingdom, really. It is this world, but where Satan rules. It's a picture of everything that's opposed to God, everything that's wrong, suffering and sin, deceit and darkness. And this is the world that we're born into. Naturally, all of us are born into this world. It's in direct contrast to the heavenly places where God rules, where God reigns. So what is it that happens to us when we become a Christian? Well, it's as if we're raised up to the heavenly places with God. Our home becomes heaven. So we live here on earth, yes, but our citizenship is in heaven with God. God brings us out of darkness into his light, in his land. As Christians, we live in the world, but we're not of it. It's as if we're foreigners in this world. We don't really belong here because 
God has taken us out of this world into his land. Our king is God and not the devil. So if we are a Christian, we belong in his land. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is why we're persecuted. If we're Christians, Jesus says, you'll be hated as I was hated because you do not belong to this world. That's why the world hates you. You don't belong to this world. And Jesus says, I've overcome the world. You see, Jesus was sent into this world to defeat the ruler of this world and to defeat the sin and death which grips it so tightly. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came, to defeat the ruler of darkness, the works of the devil. And by the time Jesus gets to the point where he is at in John 16 verse 33, he's already overcome the temptations of the devil. You can read about that in the Gospels. And he's lived a life of obedience to his father. And now he willingly heads to the cross. And it looks like he's heading for his greatest defeat. The ruler of the world here, the devil, is rubbing his hands in glee and thinking, finally, I've got him. But Jesus has already told us back in John chapter 12 that this is how he would conquer and cast out the ruler of the world. It's precisely when the ruler of the world thinks he's got Jesus that this is the moment when Jesus is going to conquer him. This is the moment when Jesus is going to cast him out. In John 14, Jesus says, the ruler of the world, sorry, the ruler of this world has no claim on me. The ruler of this world, the devil, has no claim on me. The great accuser has nothing to accuse Jesus of. Jesus has lived this innocent life before God. And so he's the only one that can free us from sin and death. Hebrews 2.14 says that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. You see, Jesus knows this. It is only through death that he can destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. You might notice in our reading that Jesus warns them, look, you're going to be sorrowful for a bit. When Jesus is arrested, taken away to die, they will be sorrowful. But that will turn. In just a little while, he says, that will turn to joy. And it will turn to a joy that is unshakable. Why? Because Jesus has risen again from the dead. Death could not conquer Jesus. Jesus conquered death. And shortly after Jesus rises again, he rises even further to heaven. He ascends back to his father, mission complete. Jesus has overcome the world. The devil may still have some power. We still may face temptations. We still face sin. We still face death. But ultimately, Jesus has conquered it all. Jesus has conquered them all. Earlier, a question that might have flashed through your mind is, why would anyone want to be a Christian? Why would you want to be a Christian if you know that you're effectively signing up to all that trouble, to all that persecution? Well, this is why. Because it may not always look like it, but Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. And he's coming back to judge the world. 
And you know, to be on the wrong side of Jesus when he comes again is a terrible thing. To be on the wrong side of Jesus when he comes again is a terrible thing. But right now, before Jesus has come again, Jesus is offering us the free gift. He's paid the price, as Luke told us. The free gift of freedom from darkness, freedom from sin, freedom from death, as he offers us eternal life in him. It's a free gift that was bought at the cross, paid for at the cross. And I want to encourage you, if you've never received it, take it. Accept it from Jesus. It's a free gift. And maybe you're worried about what it might be like if you become a Christian. The thought of troubles and persecution doesn't appeal to you. Well, you know what Paul says? He, he experienced some of the worst persecution we can experience. And he said it doesn't even compare to the glory and the wonder of knowing Jesus. Jesus is so worth knowing that all the horrendous sufferings he went through, it's like, Paul's like, it's almost like it doesn't even matter. Because compared to Jesus, it's nothing. But I want to speak briefly again to those of you who are Christians. Those of you following Jesus who want to obey him. Jesus has overcome the world. So take heart. Take courage. This is the same phrase that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were in the storm in in the Sea of Galilee. He said to them, take heart. And again, he says it to us as we go through the storms of life, particularly as a Christian, he says, take heart. You don't know what you're facing, but take heart, take courage. The fact that Jesus has overcome the world should be at the forefront of our minds. As we head into the new year, keep at the forefront of your mind every day that Jesus has won. Jesus has defeated darkness. The ruler of this world has so much more limited power now because Jesus reigns. And one day, the ruler of this world will have no power. He's explained uh, to his disciples and us, all, all of us today, his plans for us. It came up a bit in the reading. It's what you read in, particularly uh, John 14 and 16. We see Jesus' plans as he's explaining to his disciples what's going to happen. And he says, I've explained these things so that you can have peace in me. So that you can have peace in me. This is what we read in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus warns us. He says, look, in the world you're going to have trouble, but don't let your hearts be troubled. In the world you will have trouble, but don't let your hearts be troubled. The peace that we find in Jesus is unlike the peace we can find anywhere else in the world. Jesus says, I don't give you peace like the world gives. My peace is different. In fact, Paul describes this peace from God in Philippians 4 as a peace that guards our hearts. It guards our hearts. We can know peace and we can take heart because we're promised that we too will overcome. Just like Jesus overcame, we too will overcome. And it's not because we do it ourselves. I haven't got a list for you to complete so that you can overcome yourself. If it was down to me, I'd give up pretty quick. 
No, it's because we get to share his victory. This is what it says in 1 John 5, verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Jesus. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we too can overcome the world. Simply by believing in him, we get to share in his victory. So as we head into this new year, whatever this new year may look like, whether it be a new year at school, whether it be going off to university or going back to university, whether it be a new job, whether we just plod on in the same bit of life that we have been doing for the last few years and nothing really has changed, whether we're looking to serve in uh, different areas of the church, whether we're seeking to live a life that pleases Jesus, take heart. Jesus says, yes, you will have trouble in this life. Don't be surprised by that. But Jesus has overcome the world and Jesus reigns. Nothing can thwart God's plans. Nothing can happen outside of his control. Jesus has overcome the world. All things are in his hands. And we look forward to the day when one day death and sin and darkness and all those things will be finally and completely defeated when Jesus returns. Well, let's pray quickly. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Lord, into this darkness, into the midst of sin. Lord, to come and conquer it. And Lord, the only way to do that was by death. And yet Jesus does it so willingly. Lord, we thank you for his obedient life. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection. And we thank you for his ascension back to heaven, showing that he has completed his mission. And that Jesus rules over all things, and that all things are under his feet. And Lord, I pray that would give us great comfort as we go into the year ahead, knowing that Jesus is king, and that Jesus reigns, and that nothing is more powerful than him, but he has conquered all things. And Lord, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would accept your free offer of grace while you offer it. Lord, while it is now, before it is too late, so that they may know the joy of citizenship in heaven. So Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song now that brings glory to Jesus. This is the chorus. Glory to Jesus, risen, conquering son. Endless is the victory over death you won. So let's stand and sing this together.
close by reading a few verses from, uh, well, two verses from Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Amen.